0: Those of you who are first-time guests at Vintage, I'm Steve Hambrick, lead pastor. Sorry. Uh, They love me. We're all okay. All right. Now, let me talk about it. In the context of my life, like you, there are several things that that I am proficient in, right? And there are very few, but there are several things I'm proficient in. All of you know, I'm a big fisherman. And so as it comes to any level, any type of fishing, I am fairly proficient, better than the average person. Also, because I've been driving boats and pulling boats since the age of 15, I am incredibly proficient at backing boats anywhere, any kind of trailer, putting it anywhere I want to. It's just part of my proficiency. And all of you have your own type of proficiency, but I will tell you clearly, I have zero proficiency when it comes to a bow and arrow and archery in and of itself, right? I will never forget being like, I don't know, six, seven years old. Like, this is a very core memory for me of failure, right? I'm sitting here at the Boy Scout camp somewhere down, somewhere down in Smyrna, right? Off Powder Springs, right over that road is down there and it's down there in Smyrna, and I and they hand me a bow and arrow, and as a competitive, like second grader, I told you last week I was really competitive, really athletic, really good. I went to shoot a bow and arrow and went, Phew! Of this, And I never hit the bulls. I never got close. I'm not sure it ever hit the big circle of hay, right? I don't think it ever happened. It was a massive failure. So in this, people talk about, hey, you want to go learn how to do archery? I'm like, core failure? No, my experience of failure tells me I'm not proficient, so I pull back and don't want to do it, right? That's my life. Some of you are great at it. I am not zero proficiency. But what I will say in archery is this. There is a word in archery that I love. And the word is quiver. Right. Like I love the word quiver. I love using the word quiver in any sentence when I can figure out how to use it. I don't mean the sense of quiver like shaking. I mean, quiver as in that container that holds the arrows when you go do bow hunting or you go do archery. I love the word quiver. So I love looking at it in a sentence and looking and saying Hey, Amanda, it is amazing. You were just a quiver full of great ideas today. And I use that sentence, and I'm like, God, this just felt so good. Do you have words like that when you use them? I look over here at my buddy George, and I say... Wow, nine, nine children. Wow, you have a family. It's a quiver full of children in your family, right? So that's my challenge for you this week. Maybe figure out how you can use the word quiver in a sentence and see if you enjoy it as much as I do, because every time I use it, I feel great about myself. I think it's super fun, and I hope you feel the same way about it. But the, point, the part for this morning is that a quiver is a word that I want us to use as it relates to this Jesus first series that we're in. This idea of having a a container that's full of arrows that we can pull out as we have need. And so this morning, again, in talking about a goal for this week and the idea is that we want to put Jesus first. And as a reminder from a couple of weeks ago, and I'm going to put these on the screen, uh, Jesus first, it's this. Jesus first means that his presence must be our priority. He must be preeminent in our life, right, surpassing all other things in primary importance. And he must be the winner over everything in our life. And I don't mean just our activities, I don't just mean our finances, but I'm talking about our thoughts. That when I think about the day that I'm living and the worry that I experience and the anxiety that's present and the fear that presents itself, that in those moments Jesus is the winner even all of, over all of those things. And I'm giving myself to a place of Jesus first so that all of these things in my life and the things that I wrestle with and the things that I do, that Jesus is priority, that he is preeminent, and that he is the winner as it relates to being priority and being first in every area of my life. So putting Jesus first, I think we all recognize this. It's an active decision that we make. Right? It's a conviction that we listen to and obey, and you're not any different about your actions and the way that you relate to your spouse or to your parents or to the ones that you love most and to your children, right? You recognize for someone to be first in your life that you have to make an active decision To put them there. So that you look at it and go look at Randall and go, we have not spent much time together this week. She's the priority in my life relationally. She's preeminent. She should be the winner of time. And so I'm going to make time, be active and make a decision to place her first in my life. Where are my kids looking at it going? It's very easy for me to go to work every day, to spend time in my hobbies, but they are my priorities. So I'm going to make time for them, invite them to do the things that I'm doing and, and ask if they'll let me come do the things that they're doing. Right. The idea is that in every relationship relationship that is first, we always have to make an active decision to listen to a conviction and then obey it in that relationship. So the idea of putting Jesus first is no different. Each of you have to make an active decision to listen to the conviction of God's spirit to come after him and then to obey it. And we do it. We put Jesus first because when we do, we know we find life. I've come that you might have life, Jesus says. We, we find purpose all of a sudden to our lives. And honestly, we find rest. I've come that you might have rest and have it to the fullest, right? He talks about this in Scripture like his presence and the life of his people produces these things and other things, life and purpose and rest. And then when we then to undertake specific actions to pursue him, That's the action that we make, right? We make these active decisions, specific actions, then to pursue him and keep him first in our lives. And that's the reason for the word quiver this morning. That's the reason for the word quiver this morning. When we talk about putting Jesus first and the actions that we give ourselves to, there are a myriad of actions or steps that we can take in our lives to pursue Jesus and to experience his presence in our lives. And these things that we give ourselves to are like arrows in the quiver that we have. And when a situation arises, we can pull out one of those arrows, shoot it to put ourselves into his presence. There are a myriad of actions like this, and the idea is these actions, this is important, one is not better than the other, but one may fit better in a moment or to a specific time of need. And if you have that arrow in your Jesus first quiver, you can pull it out, you can use it to seek after and to find Jesus. We all have a quiver. We all have these arrows, these actions that we can give ourselves to that when we're in a moment of putting him first, I can pull it out and it'll place me in his presence. Some of these, some people call these spiritual disciplines. Some people call them the means of grace or actions that put us in the grace of God. I'm simply calling them Jesus first. Jesus, Jesus' first arrows and a quiver this morning. Jesus' first arrows and a quiver are the spiritual disciplines and the actions that we give ourselves to. And so in this, every arrow that we will talk about when used, it will put us— and Listen. Every arrow that we take out, every spiritual discipline we give ourselves to, every action that we engage, it will put us into the company of Jesus. It will put us into his presence. And I want you to hear this on the screen. As one writer said, she said, take heart. Take heart. Transformation happens as you keep company with Jesus. Right? We are transformed as we keep company with Jesus, as we pull out these these arrows from our quiver, choose these actions that put us into... His presence. Mike Farley last week, he had a, just a beautiful conversation around the air of scripture reading, right? The nature of scripture and giving ourselves to it, whether we're reading it to, for instruction and for teaching or we're reading it devotionally, right? We're just trying to listen to God's spirit in it, right? The idea is that as we, as we take out the arrow of reading scripture and shoot it, what it does is it literally puts us into God's presence. And just by being in it and reading it, it's transforming us as we put ourselves into the presence of Jesus and allow his words to wash over us from scripture the bible the living word of god very active and cutting between soul and spirit and joint and marrow it's powerful as mike spoke last week I i was i felt god's pleasure and like like this is so good and i actually i told mike last week i meant to get up and tell everybody hey if you were here this morning go back and listen to it again Go back and listen to it again. Some of the things that he talked about and the language that he used maybe had been new, but it was so important. But it is a discipline. It's an action we give ourselves to that puts us into the presence of God. And just in doing it, you are transformed as you experience his presence. Reading is an arrow we can pull out and use to put Jesus first and put us in his presence. This morning, I want to talk about the arrows and focus on the arrows of silence and of solitude. Of silence and of solitude. Now I will confess that some of you probably when I even put those words up there and talk about it as a discipline or an action, you may have recoiled, right? Like, this isn't a primary conversation that we have in the church. This isn't a primary piece that people celebrate, honestly, in the disciplines. A lot of times, like even for me, it's like people love scripture reading. And they, they love prayer and they love worship because even in the context of church and how we do church, that's what we do. Our Services and times look like prayer, talking to God, they, they look like worship, we're singing, they look like reading the Bible and studying, but what we don't find a lot of times in the context at least to the American Western church is an expression of silence and solitude, like a celebration of it, like a celebration of rec- in recognition that it is a arrow it's an arrow that we have in our quiver that we can pull out as we have need that when we do it as an action it puts us into the presence of god and it changes us and it transforms us and if we're honest part of the reason that we don't like silence and solitude is because it's just not celebrated at all by our culture right you think about the culture in which we live, it'd be super fun. Like If we were sitting in a classroom, I would stop speaking and ask the question, all right, everybody, talk about how does our culture, what's the antithesis of our culture in context or in comparison to silence and solitude? And I think all of us would immediately begin to lay out things about busyness, right, about hustle and, and hurry and faster and Productivity and the efficiency, right? We throw in all types of words and silence and solitude. Well, they just sound lonely, and they sound. This is an important word. They just sound unproductive. Because in silence and solitude, you're saying, "I'm going to get away by myself, and I'm going to do absolutely nothing, and I'm going to be unavailable to anything." My phone or to a person who loves me, or to, I even say, a person who needs me. And all of a sudden, that moment, I have to ask the question, in pulling myself away, and I'm not present for someone, do I trust that God's grace is sufficient to care for them, or for my job, or for my actions, or the things that I have control of usually in my life? And all of a sudden, silence and solitude is scary, because now we're out of control of anything. We are disconnected And we don't live disconnected, and our culture never celebrates it because we've created a culture of connectivity where everyone's available at all times. And so why do we recoil? Because it's so opposite of the culture and what people celebrate as cultural norms in our life, and even in the context of the church I just wonder for you, how many of you, Scripture reading is a restful act rather than something that you're trying to produce and finish? How many of you, your prayer life is, I've got to hurry up and pray so I can get these things out, so I can get it about my day. Usually we're still trying to do it to be productive, to make something happen, rather than just disconnect. Silence and solitude. One of the throwaway verses, and I put very strong air quotes around this, okay, this is not throwaway at all, but one of the throwaway verses we often skip over in Scripture when reading the incredible stories of God's healing is Luke chapter 5, verse 16. You can put it on the screen for me. It says this. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places, and he prayed. Like, I I believe, I absolutely always reading Scripture in context of what's in front of it and what's behind it. But every now and then, it's really healthy to take a verse like this, pull it out, and just ponder it. Right? Just to let God, not you dissect it, an action that you're undertaking to figure something out, which is what we've been taught to do. But you ponder it before the Lord and just leave yourself open to let him speak. That's what you do in silence and solitude. I'm going to put myself in your presence, and I'm not going to do anything or say anything necessarily. I'm just going to wait until you do you. And do we ponder a verse like this. This is the picture of silence and solitude, one of the many in Scripture. Jesus, around a large group of people, he often, I just love to know, like how, but how often was it? Right? I'd love to know that. What do you mean, Dr. Luke, right? Luke was a doctor. How often? You're super smart. You're a doctor. You're smarter than me for sure. How often did he pull away? How often? What do you mean by that? And he would pull away to a lonely place, which which meant he was lonely, as in alone, as in no one else with him. He didn't have a phone. He didn't take the scrolls with him, the Bible, to read in the day and start unrolling and saying okay let me finish jeremiah 24 today right in my time with him He just kind of walked away by himself with nothing right and he had this beautiful moment of just being alone and then he prayed just being with the father the context of this verse is powerful that jesus has just miraculously healed a man who is riddled with leprosy. Most of you know that lepers were considered unclean, not allowed into the temple. They were considered outcasts. No one socialized with them. They weren't allowed to be anywhere near people. Jews would see them and they would go the other side or expect lepers to go the other side of the street. There was no interaction, no relationship, no connection, complete disconnect, right? And Jesus saw him in front of a large group of people like Jesus watched. They watched Jesus as the leper was on the other side of the road, I'm sure, and Jesus did do, 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 do made way over there, right? They're like, what is he doing? This should never be happening. And Jesus like, what's up, man? Bro, what? you're by yourself. Man. You got leprosy. Oh, dude, I'm so sorry. I don't know how to do this talk. I'm just assuming, right? Hey, do you want to be clean? Yeah. Again, I'm just making up the story here because Scripture's silent. i will just make this up, right? It's fairly accurate, I hope. Okay, man, well, let me just pray for you. <laughs> pray for him. That's what it sounded like, right? It's beautiful. Jesus prayed for him in the moment. He was healed. And scripture says, all of a sudden the people saw what happened and they left and told everybody what had happened. And people by the hundreds, and we know by in time by the thousands, came in droves. To begin to follow Jesus. I don't know about you, but if that happened at Vintage, we would celebrate the miracle and we would celebrate the people coming, wouldn't we? That would become the topic. That's what we would talk about. But look what Luke did. He's like, I don't want to focus on that. What I want you to focus on, as soon as it happened, Jesus withdrew to a lonely place by himself and he prayed. He prayed. That speaks volumes to what Luke found important about the life of Jesus. In fact, it would be a fascinating uh, be a fascinating conversation to say to Luke, Luke, what do you think defined Jesus more to you? The healings that he did or that he often pulled away to be by himself and with the Father? Which one do you think defines him most, the miracles or the pulling away? I wonder again this is this is just my thought don't hold on to this it's just things i ponder when i'm reading scripture Luke was a doctor he understood humanity. He recognized and understood things, right? He recognized that sometimes when you get around, to, I'm sure he had, a, I'm sure he had some grasp of, man, when I'm around people, it drains me. I wonder, as a doctor, if he recognized, quote unquote, the health benefits. Just putting in our culture today, I wonder if he knew the health benefits of every single human being pulling away after being in an extremely extroverted situation, being highly connected, giving myself away, being super. Busy, a hectic moment, all of this craziness happened. I just wonder if he knew the benefits mentally and emotionally and spiritually and was celebrating for all of us that, hey, in the midst of this beautiful and powerful thing that we should celebrate, do not miss as Christ followers that Jesus had to pull away and he did it often because if he didn't engage silence and if he didn't engage solitude, he couldn't embrace the calling that God had for him. I just wonder. It's just a thought that I'm having. The thing about silence and solitude is nowhere in Scripture, right, nowhere in Scripture do we actually ever see a teaching on silence and solitude as, hey, this is something you go do. Like, it doesn't say when you engage silence and solitude, like when you go pray, like Scripture says, right? But what we see is Jesus modeling modeling a life of silence and solitude and I believe the lifestyle as an example teaches us to embrace it very loud and very clearly as an arrow in our quiver in the midst of our hecticness and the busyness of our moments, the things that can get overwhelming and people pushing in on us, and it's just too much sometimes, and the culture in which we live just to model and recognize the model of Jesus and just pull away (sighs) silence and solitude like Jesus. Again, there's lots of ink devoted in books to the, about the word silence and solitude and what it is and how to do it. And I would encourage all of you to read them. But we don't have to read too much to understand at its core that it's a simple exercise, an action we give ourselves to, an arrow in our quiver that we can embrace to place us in the rich ...and life-changing presence of Jesus, right? Our actions that we do to put Jesus first put us into his presence and we are then transformed by it. We give ourselves to moments of no outside influences. I look at my kids and say, I'm off limits, right? Go hang out with your dad or your mom, right? Or they're at school, whatever it may be. I'm off limits. I take my phone. I put it in a separate room. I close the door somewhere I'm going, and I leave it over there and trust that God will take care of the responsibilities that I feel like I need to have control in. Because I don't need that. Jesus is enough, and he can care for everything in my life, right? I, can't, I give myself some moments of no outside flu, influence. Here's the deal. I'm talking no music, I'm talking about no music. Music is a form of entertainment that we've learned and conditioned ourselves to have to have to slow down, right? And I'm saying no music, nothing from the outside. No music, no books, no TV, no conversations, no phones, a.k.a. moments of silence and moments alone with God. No one around. Solitude. The goal, just be and exist in the presence of God. How hard is this? It's so countercultural. Like, I don't know about you, but, like, we were driving the road. Ooh. Talk about your kids sometimes, right? Caught me off guard, sorry. Right on the road was Sarah. Sarah Hamburg, my youngest. She's now 18, be 19, April 6th. She was one of those moments of life. You ever have seasons where relationships are hard? When you feel like you're going to perform for people to make them like you. And she just happened to have one of those moments like every other high schooler does. And we're driving. You know what? We were going up to go walk. We were going to go up to Red Top Mountain. We did that three-and-a-half-mile hike at Iron Hill. And we were going to go do that hike together because we always do about once a month. We love it. When she was here, she called me several months ago and says, Dad, I just miss our walks. And I was like, me too, babe, right? We're driving up, and we were talking, talking, talking. And then we stopped. We didn't talk for five minutes. You know what She said, It's just so nice to sit here and not talk and just enjoy one another and not feel like we have to do anything. Do you have moments like that with people, the ones that you love? You don't feel like you have to talk, you don't have to do anything, you don't have to perform. It's just be together and the person's presence is just enough to satisfy and make you breathe better. Silence and solitude, that's the heartbeat behind it. The goal just be and exist in the presence of God. And then as I'm doing it, I remember. Transformation happens as I just keep company with Jesus. Do you believe that you can sit with Jesus and say nothing Do nothing, not perform, not read your Bible, not speak, not do anything and just sit there and God is pleased with the moment and pleased with you and finding joy in it to bring you joy as you just sit without having to perform in his presence and just enjoy him with rest. I'll be honest with you just to know about my life, practicing silence and solitude honestly takes up most of my one-on-one time with Jesus. I spend more time in silence and solitude than I do in Bible study and specifically talking. What I found for myself is that reading my Bible can be performative And that prayer can be, too. And so I never do those, usually, unless the crisis moment and just crying out to Jesus, right, which is a quiver in my, or an error in my quiver, right, like just coming and interceding in the moment, right? But most of the time, every time, I'll say every time, every time I go to be with the Lord, I put my Bible over here, put my prayer list over here, and I just sit in silence and solitude, quiet before the Lord until I catch his rhythm. And become aware of His presence, and then at that moment, because His presence is enough, that's when I begin to take my Bible and read. So I begin to take my prayer list or whatever it is, and begin to give it to the Lord. I obviously I do all those things, but after the last three years, I've found as I sit in silence, aware of my breath, aware of my mind, and listen. The first time I did it, it, is like an explosion of Wah! thoughts. Because I had never conditioned myself to be in silence and solitude, and so I had to learn to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus and say, no, no, we're not here to perform and to figure out and to make things happen in my mind and put A and B to equal C together. I'm just here to be with him. I'm here just to enjoy his presence. I'm here to let the world fade away and just know him and be in his presence, right? I'm aware of my thoughts slowing down. I'm aware of my rhythm shifting, and I press in to sense God's presence. When I do that, I become aware. I become aware of his nearness to me, his loving presence and loving embrace, for me, many times I can be busy praying, reading, or singing, but in silence and solitude I feel striving, I feel performance wash away, and I sense God says something on the lines like I just love sitting with you. I just love being with you. Sometimes I feel the kabod, right? Just the weight of God's presence. There's no voice, there's no there's just like the like that weight of presence, the kabod, the weight of his presence. In his presence. Every time that happens, I feel transformed by it. I don't mean like, "Ah," I just feel like I like I'm transformed from busyness and like peace, whatever it may be. Right. Listen, like all of you, our culture presses me, presses me all the time. Anna Catholic, one day she's like, I just don't know how you live your life without sin, Steve, or dad. And I'm like, what? <laughs> right? No, I'm pressured by all the same things that every single person is in this room all the time. And I find myself, like you, out of rhythm. I find myself anxious even this week, anxious, worried, stressed, stressed, and stretched. I feel my hair on fire in moments for me, right? And those moments I have to slow down. I got to pull back from the demands of culture. I'm like, I've got to find you, Jesus, because I can't continue to live at this rhythm the world's created for me. I have to find your rhythm, right? The great modern-day theologian N.T. Wright once said, listen, it's on the screen. This is a picture taking right down. It's only when we slow down our lives that we can catch up to God. It's powerful. It's only when we slow down our lives that we can catch up to God. I found that silence and solitude in this season is the arrow I use most to slay down, so it's a slow down and just to catch up to him. Like me again, many of you are out of rhythm. Like, I just, like, I use that, and you're like, I don't, some of you, like, I have named that as a thinker. Some of you are like, God, I feel that. You're saying something about being out of rhythm. I feel that to the core of my being, right? Rich Felotus, he's the author of a book called The Deeply Formed Life. I encourage you to get it put up on the screen for me. Here's a quote. He says, our world, in his first like, couple of chapters about silence and solitude, he says, our world continues on faster and busier. We were reminded that our souls were not created for the kind of speed to which we have grown accustomed. We are a people who are out of rhythm, a people with too much to do and not enough time to do it. And the answer, put Jesus first and pull out an arrow. I don't care if it's, I don't care what it is. All of them put you in the presence of God. All of them can be, all of them are healthy when they're done right. You know what I mean? Like not with stress and not with things that end, not productivity, whatever it may be. But all of them are life-giving. They all put us into the presence of God and we're transformed no matter what it looks like. Someone said one time, there is no such thing as bad prayer because all prayer, whatever it looks like, puts us into the presence of God and we're transformed. Right? Put Jesus first, pull out an arrow, and if you struggle with performance, if you have a hard time slowing down, if your mind is always racing, then silence and solitude is a practice, it's a discipline, or it's an arrow I strongly implore you to learn and place into your quiver so that if you're in that moment literally sitting at your job and you have one of those moments, you're able to say, I've got to pull away for five minutes and f- slow myself down to find the rhythm of God. Then do it. Find it. Listen, I, I do it all the time. I don't know, care where I am. I'm sitting in my truck. I take a deep breath and say it. Quiver. I've got to say the, pre- the, the silence and solitude. And I just find to the best of my ability to put myself in his presence. By grace, he helps me find his rhythm, and I find him. It's my humble opinion, but I'd argue that this discipline may be the most important discipline for us to practice and the most important arrow to pull out in the context of the culture in which we live. Or maybe the the discipline we need to get good at so that we can. Because here's the point. Anything you do and put in action and practice, you just get good at. So the first six months I practiced silence and solitude, I was really bad at it. It was still transformative because he promises if I ever put in stuff in his presence, then hit an action like this, then it will be productive and produce his presence is great. Right, I'll be transformed by it. But I wasn't good at it. I was like, oh, this is so hard. But after six months, all of a sudden let's begin to be able to find it was easier. Have you ever experienced that with prayer or Bible say the more you did, it, the better you got at it. Right? Anything that you do, it's like you practice, you put it into action, like you get better at it. You become proficient. And so for this, this, it's a level of proficiency. Give yourself to it, trusting that as you give yourself, God, I am terrible at silence and solitude, but by grace would you help me to get good at it? He says, of course, every time. Of course. So in this, listen, that's my opinion. Remember Luke, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Often. Why? Why do you think that he did that? Usually after a Hectic and busy time of ministry to others, he pulled away. Why? I would just say for you, the why of Luke 5 may be a great question for you just to set before the Lord in your own time of silence and solitude. It says, you withdrew to lonely places and prayed. As I sit in silent solitude today, would you speak to me or just give me understanding in it? And you sit. Slow yourself down. Allow your thoughts to creep away over time. Knowing thoughts will like ebb and flow. They'll come and then they'll go. Come and then they'll go. Every time you're just like laying them back down. You find your mind wandering. You just go, I am so sorry. That I just wandered like that. Even in the sinful places, I will ask forgiveness. but I'm going to come back now to our silence and solitude. That's Madame Guyon experiencing God in prayer. One of her primary traits wrecked me when I was a kid in college. She said, when I find myself, my mind wandering in prayer, even to sinful places, I just stop and say, I'm so sorry that happened. You know me. And I begin to pray again. Right? Silence and solitude. Why did he do it? When I embrace silence and solitude, it makes me slow down. It causes me to trust That God can care for all the things I'm not doing while I'm sitting with him. And it reminds me, he has control, not me. This action, listen to me, is a gift. Because I do believe that Luke probably recognized the health that came from pulling away in silence and solitude and saw that Jesus modeled it well with the hopes that his disciples would engage it. Because it was a gift. Saying, if you engage this as an arrow, of my, throw me into your, to put you in my presence where my presence is always flowing like a mighty river and it will wash you. It's a gift to us. How do I do it? I'm going to share an article, a portion of an article that was from a blog that I read. I was like, this is really good. as I was prepping and I find it helpful. So you can just follow along on the screen. With me, here we go. The normal way to practice silence and solitude is get alone with God. To be quiet in a quiet place for some minutes, for hours, or if your schedule allows, for days. Perhaps you take a walk on a nature trail. You sit beside a lake or a creek or a quiet spot in a park or your backyard may work well. Even a secluded chair inside your house can work as long as all your communication is and media devices are turned off, the point of your time in solitude and silence is to do nothing and don't try to make anything happen. Those two phrases keep on going. Do nothing. Don't try to make anything happen. This is not celebrated in our Western culture. It is absolutely 100% celebrated by Jesus, remember, Martha, Martha. I it, I am so concerned about you, because you're not living in the moment. What's best for you? Anxious and worried, and and you don't have to be. You can just come and sit at my feet and do absolutely nothing, and it will 100% please me. Do nothing. Don't try to make anything happen. Who becomes Lord of your life and Lord of your situations when you do this? Keep on going. In solitude and silence, you are learning to stop doing, stop producing, stop pleasing people, stop entertaining yourself, stop obsessing, stop doing anything except to simplify, be and be your naked self before God and be found by God silence, and solitude. Let me invite this uh, worship team to come forward as we come into ministry. These are arrows in our quiver. Take a deep breath. Okay. Recenter your mind. I'm done with my talk, but I do want to finish these pieces, so I want you to pay attention. Jesus 1st There They're actions we give ourselves to. These actions that God has been, that are historical in nature are gifts from Jesus to each of us that as we pull them out and shoot them, it puts us into the presence of God, and we are transformed. It causes us with silence and solitude to recognize Jesus is Lord of everything I'm trying to control, and the things that are causing me stress and anxiety and worries I'm trying to control them— God wants me to die to that sense of feeling so that I see that he's in control and I can see him as Lord over them. What a gift to recognize that I'm not the Lord of my life. He is. I can't make things happen, but Jesus is able. That I don't have to produce anything to make God happy all I have to do is just be with him and enjoy his presence because he for sure is enjoying me. Take a moment and just close your eyes. Father, I pray for each person here. God, like me, they are influenced powerfully by the values of our culture. Really the Western culture. And I pray, God, that you would help us to recognize how you view time. And because, this is important, because you are, you don't live in time, then you're just never in a hurry. Things may be urgent to you, but you're never in a hurry with them. And I do pray for each person, this by silence and solitude, Lord, that you would begin to shape us into the rhythm, into the pace of Jesus. And I pray for those, Lord, who, recoil like I did around silence and solitude, they'd begin to recognize, now this is one of the greatest gifts in my arsenal. Arrow in my quiver. Thank you for creating it for us, Jesus. So come and have your way today, Lord. We praise in your name. As we come into this time, Aaron's going to take a little bit of this to Probably a minute for you just to sit with this Josiah quietly playing in the background. After a minute, you can jump in uh, to worship But I just want to invite you just to sit before the Lord and maybe be aware of his presence this morning. Maybe to process one of the things that I said that God really just hits you with in a loving way. Maybe it's to lay down some of the things before the Lord. If you want to come to the altar to do that, you're more than welcome to do that to take communion this morning. I say, just wait a minute. So wait one minute. And after that minute, you can soon as Aaron begins to play, we to come forward and take communion and just celebrate the faithfulness of Jesus and his cross and his resurrection through his body and his body broken, his blood poured out in communion. Maybe when it, this morning maybe you came with a great need like, I just, I can't make this thing happen in my life. I need God to move. We'd love to pray for you. One of our prayer teams would love to just pray for you this morning. Love on you, and meet you. So, after a minute, and Aaron begins to pray, you respond. The Lord leads. you. this time, just take some time to slow yourself down. Try to find the rhythm of Jesus this morning, and just rest in it.